So I just decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to become self-aware, something that I really wasn't. So I not only became very self-aware about my executive function deficits, but I also sat down with my boys and I said, look, I need you to tell me about me. Can you do that for me? And I said, look, you love me. I love you. I want you to be honest with me. I need this. Okay. I really do. And they were. So this was very hard for me to hear, but I knew that change only comes through something like this. And the interesting thing is that today they want to know what Martian came down and took their mother because I'm so different than I used to be. ADHD Rewired Episode 84. This is the show designed to help those of us who have really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and consultant. We know that starting can be the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me thank our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Check show notes for link. October is ADHD Awareness Month, and there are a ton of incredible events that I really want you to know about, including some events that I'm going to be doing on a brand new social media platform that I recently discovered called Blab. If you're familiar with Periscope, it's kind of like that, but a whole lot more social. It combines live streaming video, where as the host, I can invite up to three other people. So four people can be in a video panel discussion, and you can engage in chat messaging on the side. So it's kind of like a webinar meets live TV meets radio. Uh, it's a really, really cool platform. It's really, I think, one of the the first platforms that have really seen that is really bringing the social part of social media. The reason I'm telling you about this is I'm going to be hosting some live Blab events all month long in honor of ADHD Awareness Month. If you have a story to tell about your ADHD and you're willing to share it with the world, consider this your invitation to me. I'm also thinking about doing more of a live show, a format of this podcast where I could do this on Blab, where you'd be able to listen live, interact with me and my guest, and even join us on video if you want. But this is just an idea that I'm kind of thinking about right now. But if you like this idea, let me know. Uh, you can send me a tweet at Eric Tivers. Use the hashtag BlabRewired uh, so I know that it's about that. Um, or you could also send me a message on Facebook or email me at Eric at Eric Tivers. Anyways, to find out more about my upcoming Blabs and other events, you can either subscribe to me on Blab at Blab.im or subscribe to my email newsletter and find out more about this and other ADHD awareness events, including the ADHD Expo at the end of the month where I'm going to be one of the speakers. I'm going to be also doing some free adult study hall sessions, but you got to be on my email list to find out about that. You can sign up at my website at ADHDrewired.com by opening up the podcast app and clicking the link in your podcast player for my email list, or send a text message to the number 22828, and in the body, just write my last name, Tivers, T-I-V-E-R-S. 
That's T-I-V-E-R-S, the number 22828. And lastly, the Chad International Conference on ADHD is November 12th through the 14th in New Orleans. I will be presenting there, and I really do hope to see you there. Go to chad.org to register. Now, let's get on with the interview, but I do want to let you know, too, just in case you're one of those people who don't typically listen to the very end of the podcast, which, which okay, no judgment at all. But at the very end of this episode, I ask Justine Rotello to guide us through a meditation. And I think it was wonderful. You won't want to miss it. Let's get on with the interview with Justine Rotello, also known as Miss ADD. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. We are here in the virtual ADHD Rewired studios in Northern Illinois with my guest, Justine Rotello, who is also known as Miss ADD. She is an ADD life coach. Uh, She's been doing that for about 22 years. She is a marriage and family therapist with a private practice in Torrance, California, where she works with children, adolescents, parents, couples, and adults with ADHD. She serves on the board of, of Chad in South Bay, Los Angeles, where she runs two adult support groups because one isn't enough. She's an author and a motivational speaker. She believes that ADHD is a gift and her work with clients focuses on finding their gifts, passions, and helping them get in control of their executive function deficits. Welcome, Justine. Hi. So great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I was on your show uh, about a month or so ago, and that was a blast. That was great. And it's, you know, it's, it's funny. One of those things of like, you know, when I started my podcast and I know that you started yours, I think sometime before I did, um, I was like, I should reach out to, to Justine and, you know, just to connect with other podcasters. I thought about that for at least a year before I actually did anything. <laughs> I do. I, I can relate. <laughs> and I think it was uh, Tom Nardone that, that, uh, kind of put us in contact. Um, cause he's, he uh, I know he's a friend of both of ours. He's so good at that too. Yes, he is. Yes. So um, there's a lot of things that we can talk about. Um, yes. There's a lot of things that, that even if we plan to talk about, we might not even get to. Um, yeah. as, right before I hit record, I, I, I said to Justine, I'm going to be as surprised as you are to see what comes out of my mouth today. Um, <laughs> uh, so here's another episode or I'm recording it. I'm definitely not enough sleep. Uh, so I'm, I'm recording this on the uh, 10th of September or some in launch week for the ADHD rewired coaching group. I don't know for sure when this episode is going to air, but let's just see how this goes. Yes. <laughs> let's wing it. So you've been in this business for a while. Yes, I have. And so and you've been doing ADHD work for a while. Yes. So, I'm looking at um, my notes. Something happened seven years ago. Um, it's a practice seven years ago. I love when I can't read my own notes. Um, do you have any yes. idea why I would have written down something yes. about practice seven years ago? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so seven years ago, I was in a tremendous amount of trauma. Um, I was married to someone at the time who I then found out was narcissistic personality mm. disorder. Didn't there are a lot of red flags, but I guess for a lot of people that I know in our population, we don't like to look at the red flags. We kind of push them aside and just mm-hmm. 
So anyway, he was in the middle of having an affair and it just really devastated my life. And I had two boys and I had to deal with going to graduate school and all this. And, you know, instead of becoming the perfect victim in this situation, I decided to really look at, okay, what was my part in this marriage and what could I do, especially related to ADHD? Because what I noticed, even though I was on meds, my symptoms weren't totally in control. I was still emotionally dysregulated. I was procrastinating a lot. I was losing things, putting my keys in the refrigerator, walking around for an hour with my mouth looking for them. Where are they? And what I came to realize through this whole process was that my boys were very upset by some of these behaviors. It wasn't making them feel real good. So I decided to go on a journey of Gee, how can I really get better? And if you don't mind, I want to digress for a minute and just talk a little bit about how I was diagnosed initially and my childhood. It, w- it wouldn't be an ADHD show without some digression. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to digress back to my childhood where I was labeled lazy, stupid procrastinator. And, you know, I went to Catholic school my whole life. Um, the nuns really didn't do a good job of helping me at all in school. And back in the Stone Age, like I tell the kids that I work with, they didn't know about ADHD. I mean, they really, back in the, you know, in I started school in the 60s, there's no way that anybody knew about ADHD. I was very hyper in school. I couldn't sit still. I was always blurting out. I had a hard time making friends because I was very controlling and in their face, didn't know space at all. Mind you, I'm looking back and seeing this. I didn't see this as a child. I'm on Facebook now with my elementary friends still apologizing to them for what I did. Yeah, because, you know, it wasn't good. But so I didn't do well in school. High school was a disaster. And then I went on to go to St. John's University in New York. And I really didn't I didn't want to go to college because even though I knew I was smart, I just didn't feel like I could do the work because I was watching everybody around me move forward. And I wasn't. And little did I know I was depressed also at the time. So college, I squeaked out of college with a 2.0. And I had to get straight A's last year in college in order to do that. So that was really an experience. So you got a degree. I got a degree. I got a bachelor's, yes, in uh, liberal arts and psychology and economics were the two majors. And so So I double majored. I double majored because I was working at the time, part-time in a retail establishment, W&J Sloan's Furniture, and I wanted to be an assistant buyer. So they wanted me to have some business background. Hmm. I wasn't smart enough at the time to get into the business school, so I decided to just tag on economics, which was so boring. (laughs) But I made it. I made it. I made it through. So I started working in the retail world, which was a trip, and... um, I was very unorganized, extremely unorganized. And in retail, when you're a buyer or an assistant buyer, organization is very, very important. Mm -hmm, It's all the systems and these these moving parts that you all have to, yeah. There was no computers back then. So everything was done by hand. And I'll never forget it because I moved to Washington, D.C. in 1980 to work for the Heck Company, which was down there at the time. And... I was working as a buyer for area rugs and I was out sick a couple of days 
And my boss, when I came back, he called me in and he said, look, I get that mess of a desk of yours and you know where everything is, but here's the problem. When you're out, if I can't find something that my boss needs or I need, you're screwed. Hmm. So that was really what started me off on becoming organized, putting books together. Eric, I didn't know what I was doing, mm -hmm. but I just knew that I had to get you everything. Do something. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I did. I did something better than having piles of papers on my desk mm -hmm. all over the place. So that started me off on that road to organization, which was a good thing. And then fast forward now to when my oldest son, who's now 28, was seven, he was diagnosed with ADHD. And I started to say, wait a second, this is me. <laughs> this is <Yeah>. familiar. <laughs> this is what's going on here. I must have this. And I went and I got diagnosed with ADHD. And at 40 years old, they put me on medication. Never forget the first time I took Adderall. And what was that like? I, I cried because I could read and retain for the first time ever in my life. It stayed in and I couldn't. Justine, you and I have the same story of that. I mean, that's, I'm getting choked up just hearing you say yeah. that. I mean, it's when I, when I, I share the story of that when I give presentations and without fail, I get choked up every single time yeah. I share yeah. it because I am too. it was like, cause there was life before <laughs> that moment and there was life after that moment. And it yeah. was like one of the most pivotal moments in my life. How old were you when that happened to you? Uh, 19. Yeah. Okay. 19. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I remember the book I was reading. I remember the chair I was sitting in. I, I mean, yes. I remember every detail uh, yes. about, about that. I mean, it was, I mean, I remember the, th yeah. I mean, it was, it was such a significantly emotional, um, uh, impactful event for me that yes. it's, um, yeah, it forever, yeah. forever changed the course of my life. Yes. And for me too, because I didn't, wow, it was such an eye opener to the struggles because yeah. I always knew that I was smart, but I had no documentation of that. Hmm. And so I continued to feel that lazy, stupid procrastinator. And even if you did, he would have lost it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It would have come in and out. But no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And so from that point on, what happened was I met a gentleman in New Jersey who he was running, this is very interesting. He was running a tutoring center for kids with ADHD and behavior modification. He was actually a player on the Giants, but because he couldn't remember the plays, he had to leave the team. That's so interesting, Justin, because I, I played football for two years in high school. I was not very good. I, the position I played was left out. Um, <laughs> and, That's great. And looking back on it now, I understand why I wasn't that good because I couldn't remember the place. And I didn't get that. Like I didn't get what I didn't get. Right. And the same thing happened to him is he wasn't diagnosed till after this whole thing transpired. So he opened these centers and brought me on because I had a business background to help him run the business. But then he saw I was a natural with the kids when they would come in because, you know, I really could feel mm -hmm. what they were feeling. And I really wanted them to know that there was another way. 
And I wanted to be that person to help them get to that better place with organizational skills. And so most of my coaching time was done with children and adolescents. And it was it was just a blessing for me to be able to do it because I could see changing that was happening with children and adolescents. I wasn't working as much with parents. He was dealing with the parents, which was fine at that point. And it, you know, it really helped me to deal better with both my boys because not only was my oldest one diagnosed with ADHD, my younger one was diagnosed with ADHD and he was nonverbal learning disabled. So he was on the spectrum Mm -hmm. as well. So I had a lot of work that I felt I needed to do there as well, but kindly, I tried to always do it kindly. I look, everybody listening, I wasn't the perfect parent. I wasn't emotionally regulated at that time. So, you know, a couple of asking them to do things, then you just start to go up and yelling doesn't help anybody. And now I wish I could go back there, but I can't. Yeah, I can what, only what, be at the moment. What, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I well, sometimes tell parents, you know, about that whole thing. I mean, first of all, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. I mean, it's, no. I, you know, as even myself as a therapist, you know, it's yes. like there are things that, that I do as a parent that I would certainly strongly suggest to other parents that don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so this whole idea of like perfect parenting, it's like, well, that's, that's well, you can't achieve that. You know, it's, it's doing the best you can. And then when you screw up, you talk about it and you own it. Exactly. Um, But you know, for things like yelling, I, I tell parents, I'm like, look, if that worked, I would say keep doing it. But I don't think it's working. <laughs> oh, no, does anybody, this is what I want to ask, does anybody like to be yelled at? No. <laughs> I can tell Although you. Although I, you know, I, I, I once had a client, I once had a client who, who high functioning on the autism spectrum. Okay. Who actually said, who said he prefers when his parents yell at him so he understands when they're actually being serious. Oh, Okay. Okay. Well, I can understand that because they don't always get it. But right. Yeah. And, and he said, he said, and he really would prefer they just smack him because then he would really get it, which is the strangest. <laughs> like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow. But he wasn't, I mean, it was like this very logical, calm, like, like yes. response to all of that. So, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. We, we digress. So they're, yeah. Because they're very <laughs> linear and black yes. and white. But okay. So, you know, working with these children opened up a whole new world for me. And then we moved from southern New Jersey to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I actually loved Ann Arbor. It was a great place. Go Blue. We love U of M. And I was in a practice with a bunch of psychologists and then a neuropsychologist. And I was their ADHD coach at the time. I didn't have my MFT. I didn't get that till I moved to California. And that was a great experience because I was able to sit in on testing results with the neuropsychologist and I really enjoyed what he was doing. And if I had any, you know, the clients that I was seeing, if they were having any clinical issues, then I could just refer them to somebody in the practice. And I felt very welcomed there. And I did a lot of really good work with kids and adolescents again, started really going to school meetings and making a difference with 504 plans Mm -hmm. and IEPs and helping parents to navigate that world. Because as you know, that could be a very difficult world if you don't know what you're doing. Yes, It's a difficult world, even when you do know what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And right now, I don't know about you. And again, I'm digressing for a minute, but out here in California, it is next to impossible to even get a 504 plan. Wow. So 
we have to get attorneys in. I mean, this is ridiculous. What happened to the Disabilities Act? But that's a whole nother story. Anyway, so we, to fast forward to California, we moved from Ann Arbor and I started doing this privately when I came out here, going to people's houses, which was very interesting because I could have parents telling me how angry they were at their children for being unorganized and I couldn't get in the front door because the house Mm. was in disarray. So that was a very positive experience because I could say to the parents very kindly, look, if you're going to preach this to your children, you're going to have to be organized as well. And a lot of them don't realize that they have ADHD or on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So that was a great time traveling around to houses and coaching kids. And it was wonderful. And then in 2006, I decided to go to Pepperdine and get my MFT. As I told you, my sister is, you know, an MSW has Mm -hmm. a doctorate actually. So she's a little upset that I didn't stay in that world, but that's okay. We worked through it. As as a social worker, I could only imagine how she felt about you going (laughs) to, you know, to to one of our cousins, you know, the the MFT track versus the social work track. (laughs) Exactly. But I love social workers unite, you know, this is social workers unite. (laughs) Yes. And I love social workers. My, my supervisor, my clinical supervisor was an uh, MSW loved her. She was great. So the one of the reasons I went to graduate school was not because I really wanted to do therapy because I love coaching Mm -hmm. and that's my life. It was because I was having people come in And I was realizing, or going to their homes, I was realizing there were some mental disorders Mm -hmm. and I needed to really identify them. That's how, what I felt. I'm not saying that every coach needs to go and get Mm -hmm. their masters. But for me, that was important because I was seeing things that I just really couldn't fit together. And I knew I wanted to be able to diagnose anxiety or depression. And Mm -hmm. if they needed, I know my practice is all about ADHD. So if I have somebody coming in in a psychotic break, I will, you know, get a pet team in or I will refer them to somebody else that I don't try to do everything with everybody. Mm -hmm. I like to really stay focused in that area. That's, that's, I'm I'm the same way. Yeah. Because it, it, just doesn't make any sense. I don't think you can be good in everything. Right. I, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I, I think too, it's like when, as a, from a consumer perspective, you know, it's like, how, how is it, are we to expect consumers to be educated about things that, that, you know, generally speaking, people don't talk about, you know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. So it's like you go on something like psychology today and you see people who have, you know, 35 specialties. It's like, no, they don't. <laughs> they just checked every box that was available. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like if, if you find someone that says they have like somewhere between one to three specialties, good. You're you're in good hands then. You know, I was I would think, because um, yes. it's. I mean, yeah. To, so I, I don't know. I, I think that just you can't specialize in everything. You know, I don't even. If somebody calls me and says I have a child who's depressed mm-hmm. but not ADHD, I will refer them because I really like to stay in the world of mm-hmm. ADHD and. I love the coaching mm-hmm. aspect of this. You know, it's just, it's, it's really close to my heart because I live in the moment and we're going to get there how I got there too. So coaching is more about the moment. It's not Freudian going back and yeah. So to get to the place, we moved out here in 2004 and my second husband, because my first husband is the father of my boys. So you can see where this is going. Communication was terrible relationships were horrible. And 
in 2008, seven is when this really started to happen. And so I just decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to become self-aware, something that I really wasn't. And I think the first step in getting better for everybody is self-awareness. I mean, you can't really talk about shame or the opposite of shame being um, vulnerability unless you're self-aware. Mm-hmm. So I not only became very self-aware about my executive function deficits, but I also sat down with my boys and I said, look, I need you to tell me about me. Can you do that for me? Because they were older. You know, they were 21 and, and 19 at the time. So you sat down with them and said, I need you to tell me about me. That's that's a, I, I really. Wow. That, yeah. that one yeah. takes courage. And I think, too, yes. it's. um I think it's a really just interesting way to approach it. Yeah. You know, there is a, um, um, were we talking before about, uh, when we last spoke about the idea of the Johari's window? Yes. Yes. And yes. I think it's such an important, let me just briefly kind of uh, uh, share what that's about. So imagine a, a four square grid and it has to do with self-awareness. And so mm-hmm. in one, one corner of this square of the grid is the things that you know about yourself and the things that other people know about you. Right. And another corner is the things that you know about yourself, but others don't know about you. So your private mm-hmm. self. Right. And another corner is the things that other people know and think about you, but you don't realize yourself. That's our blind spot. And that's where a exactly. lot of therapy and coaching comes exactly. in. And then in the, exactly. in the fourth corner, the, un, the unknown, those are the things that we just don't know yet for usually based on circumstance, opportunities, things like that. And there is a tool um, that you can actually send out to people um, that basically asks them, what are the things about me? Uh, basically ask people to, to tell them about you. So it's like you, you choose all of these character um, kind of personality quality traits. Right. Um, so talk about a vulnerable uh, you know, thing to send out to a whole like email list. Like, so how do you see me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I told my boys when I sat them down and I actually sat them down individually because I thought maybe it would be a little difficult. And I said, look, you love me. I love you. I want you to be honest with me. I need this. Okay. I really do. And they were, and they were crying during it because they were saying things that they believed as being hurtful. And I was crying because I appreciated so much that they were felt close enough and trusted me enough to say these things. And they told me, mom, you're controlling. And mom, your tone is really horrible. And you lose things all the time. And, you know, you can be very annoying about certain things that you, you believe that you know what's best without really sitting down and talking to us about. So this was very hard for me to hear, but I knew that change only comes through something like this. Mm -hmm. And I promised them that I was going to work on all these things. And even my son that's on the spectrum, he was able to pull together things that frightened him, that concerned him. And I really appreciated the fact that both of them were able to do that. And the interesting thing is that today, they want to know what Martian came down and took their mother because I'm so different than I used to be. Um, I'm, I'm no longer judgmental. I'm not critical because those are the other two things they told me. I'm regulated. And so when they want to tell me something they trust enough that I'm not going to go up, I'm going to stay 
and we can have a very authentic conversation between the two of us or the three of us, whatever that is. You shared a few before that you used to be a screamer. Yes. I'm from New York. I'm Italian. (laughs) (laughs) We scream. (laughs) I am sure that there were some Italians from New York who were not screamers. Yes, I know. I know. know. (laughs) But especially back in the stone age, we were screamers back then. You know, when you, you know this because you're a therapist, when you don't feel heard, what do you do? You scream. And so, I mean, that was a big part of the screaming, but yes, I was. So that brought me on the path of becoming self-aware. And, you know, one of the difficult things for me was my ex, my ex-husband, my husband at the time was also telling me, you know, people think you're a bitch. And instead of getting angry, I had to really think about that and say, okay, why do people feel that about me? What am I doing? And what I realized was that I was very negative. I, I always thought I was a half glass full kind of person, but I wasn't. And I am, I, and I could see, you know, just becoming aware, I could see my facial expressions. They were really angry. And, you know, I, I would say, my God, I look like that person over there. I didn't even realize that. So I had all this stuff. Isn't that, am- isn't that amazing as far as, far as like, I mean, I, I love the, 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 I call it kind of breaking through the, the glass pane of that blind spot. So going back to that Johari's window analogy. Yes. When, you know, so I learned about that at at around the same time that I got diagnosed with ADHD. And I was like, oh, that explains a lot. (laughs) And, you know, after I got fired from an internship, um, in, in grad school, which, you know, it, and part of it was, it was school politics up against my idealism. You know, it right. was, and so there was like, I'm not going to say it was all this other guy's fault who fired me. I mean, he, he was kind of a jerk. Um, but like, so I want to, cause if I just look at it in that way, what am I going to learn from that? Nothing. It's a missed opportunity. Right. So even when, when crappy things happen, there's still always an opportunity to, to, to learn. Yes. And for me, it was a really, it was a really, I'm so glad that that actually happened because it, it, taught me the reality of the way life is and that not everybody yeah. is, is, is idealistic as, you know, I would like them to be. And, you know, it's like, we have this social work code of ethics and that's all value based. It's like, that's great. But most people don't function in that, in that arena. And you have to learn how to navigate your own core values and principles around systems that don't always, don't always get it. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's very true. And, you know, I have something for my clients where I make a list and it's the executive function deficits, but it's like interspersed with controlling behavior, manipulating different things. And I'll give them that and ask them to rate a scale zero to 10. What is it? Then I give them another blank and say, look, give this to somebody who's going to be authentic with you. Don't give it to a boyfriend who is like enamored with you and isn't going to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Don't give it to somebody who isn't going to be honest. And it's very interesting to see the dichotomy Mm -hmm. that comes back. Right. I mean, that's that's the thing too that I, that I've learned both for myself and just the work that I've done is that this is part of, you know, because 
one of the things that I remember reading years ago, which was kind of a light bulb moment for me, because I've been really into the the exploration of just self awareness uh, in general. Um, yes. And and even my graduate research was all about self awareness, self determination, and self advocacy skills for students with disabilities. Right. And, and when I, uh, I think it was five or six years ago, I was reading one of uh, Russell Barkley's books, and um, he was talking about self awareness is an executive function. Mm-hmm. And it was kind mm-hmm. of that light bulb of, oh, so because you have to be able to understand, you know. Because I mean, self awareness is not just how do you know yourself; it's knowing right. how other people see you. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes, and, and it's so important because it's like this whole idea we have good intentions about things, right? Right. And it's like it's it sometimes sounds harsh, but it doesn't matter what you say; it matters what people hear. Exactly. You know, yes. and if, and if if your intentions of giving someone advice about something is um you know, is coming from the right place, but it comes off as you're being critical and judgmental. Now you're just not even, not not only are not thought of as being helpful, you're thought of as kind of a jerk. Right. Exactly. One of my mantras that I use all the time, because now that I'm slow, I can slow myself down and we'll talk about what I did to do that. I say to myself, okay, what I'm getting ready to say to Eric, how would I be able to accept this? And just that, that saying back, saying that back to myself really makes me think before I speak. Mm. So, so I have become an incredible communicator because I'm so, I'm regulated now. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says something that will hit my stuff from the past, somebody tells me I did something I didn't do, which is one of my biggest things that I grew up with. I'm able to now just say, okay, I'm going to ask some questions about this. I'm going to find out more about this without attacking, because that's something that we can do very easily because of how we feel about ourselves at times. You know, just when, when you when you were kind of saying that that you really think about how you say things, the thing that popped into my mind right away was um, so a couple of years ago, my wife and I were doing some some counseling. And the, the therapist uh, that we were working with um, kind of paused me and looked at my wife and said, does he always talk this way? Because, <laughs> because I, was, I was really trying to choose my words like very carefully. <laughs> very funny. What'd your wife say? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, because it is it's like I... I I'm, yeah. I try to be very mindful of what I'm saying because I want to, you know, I don't want to just say the first thing that comes out of my mouth and then try to retract later. Um, right. I, I, but what's interestingly and sort, of, and sort of paradoxical in some ways, sometimes I overthink and overfilter. Right. And right. I think that's just been, you know, it's it, maybe it's sort of been like an adaptive strategy that I've, I've learned to manage my ADHD. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it, it it was interesting. That's what I just wanted to share that. That's came, that came yeah. to my mind when, when you're sharing that with me. Because I, I do think it's important that we are, th- the very least, considering how right. what how we're, we're talking to other yes. people. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And so the other thing that I tell people I do, I used to do. I don't have to do it as much. But when I first started my walk in mindfulness and meditation, when an emotion would come over me like a tidal wave, mm-hmm. I would sit with that emotion for two days. And it would turn into a ripple of water. 
And that's a good analogy to look at because that wave, if you've ever gotten caught in a wave, it's, it's powerful. you got to fight to yeah. get out of it. So sitting with those emotions, you know, of hurt or sadness or anger, mm -hmm. just for a couple of days when you're first starting out with this process that I did can really help you to feel like, okay, you know what? Two days later, I can, I can talk about this. I can really communicate about how I'm feeling without getting angry and fighting my way, scratching my way through this, because that's the way it always felt for mm -hmm. me. Um, so how did I get into mindfulness and meditation was I was in this trauma and I was at graduate school and a very good friend of mine. He's still my best friend. He's amazing. You know, Justine, yeah. let, let's, let's do this real quick. I'm going to, I'm going to put a marker in there. Let's talk about mindfulness and how you got into it after yes. we come back from this break. Get a Zoom room. Go to erictivers.com slash Zoom. I use Zoom video conferencing for the ADHD rewired coaching and accountability group. Zoom makes video conferencing fun and easy. Share your screen, collaborate with a whiteboard, record the audio and video. It's ADHD friendly. Go free or go pro, but go to erictivers.com slash Zoom so they know that I sent you. That's erictivers.com slash Zoom. Support for this podcast comes from Audible. For a free audiobook download, go to erictivers.com slash audible for a link for that free download and for some hand-picked recommendations. Go to erictivers.com slash audible for your free audiobook download. We are back with Justine Rotello, Miss ADD. And we are going to, uh, we were just talking a little bit about mindfulness. We're, we're going to kind of get into that. So um, walk us through, Justine, your journey of how you got into to mindfulness. So I was um, talking to my best friend in graduate school and he was an existential humanistic. And I was like, what is that? Like, I, I don't really, I don't want to know about this. So he gave me this book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And when he handed me the book, there's a, a unicorn on the front of the book. And I'm like, I'm in trauma. You're handing me this book. He said, look, do me a favor, read the book. I'll go through it with you because there's parts in it that may be difficult. The book changed my life. The first chapter in the book is the voice inside your head. And I remember crying seeing that chapter because I couldn't stand to be with myself in my car because the thoughts were so pervasive and negative. I couldn't even listen to the radio. It was just horrible. So I started to go through this book and Lee told me, let's do some meditation. And of course I started laughing because I'm ADHD. You think I can sit still and with my hands outstretched and, you know, chant. He said, look, I'm going to take you up to the Hollywood Hills. There's a group of people up there that meditate. Just come up and try it. So the first time I meditated, I fell asleep, which is very interesting. I hadn't slept in about two weeks because I was in such trauma. And then after that, we went back through it. We kept doing it. And this is the piece that I, I was talking last night in my group to my adults. The mind, the brain is like a muscle. And mm -hmm. if you don't exercise that muscle, and if you don't do this work every single day, you will lose it. It's just like if you go to the gym for a year, and then you decide, I'm just going to take a break for six months, 
those muscles, even though there's memory in muscle, those muscles tend to go away. And that's the whole idea of rewired. It's about neuroplasticity. It's like, you and know, we might be wired in a certain way, but it doesn't mean that that's stuck. No. So that's what happened to me. Neuroplasticity. Because I was experiencing my life for the first time in a completely different way. I was mindful every day. I wasn't in the future. I wasn't in the past. The future's anxiety. The past, you know, there's no hope. It's depression. I was in the moment. And when the thoughts would come up, I would say, gee, that's a fascinating thought, but I don't have any time to engage in that mm -hmm. because I know what's going to happen. The spiral's going to happen. So, you, so you I notice began, it, you acknowledge it, but you don't give it power. Exactly. You don't judge it. There's no judgment. Mm -hmm. And I started to do a lot of meditation on loving kindness mm -hmm. and compassion mm -hmm. and forgiveness. And that was powerful. Mm -hmm. There was so much power in that for me. Yeah, I, I love I love that idea too of uh, the kind of the, those the loving kindness meditations of where yes. kind of begin by just picking someone who you don't even you know like. that well, like maybe right. a, a a casual relationship with. It just things just change. You start to see things through a different lens. You really do, and you know, I just started to notice after about. Well, after six months of doing this, let me tell you about medication. I was on 30 milligrams of Adderall for 15 years. Mm -hmm. After six months of doing this and really being in the moment, I started to feel like things were starting to get better. I wasn't losing things, which was amazing to me. I, I knew where everything was. And I got up one morning and took my medicine and I started to shake an hour later. And that was very interesting. And I called my psychiatrist and he said, wait a second, what are you doing? And I said, mindfulness meditation. He said, let's reduce that to 20 milligrams. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. So we did. And for about four or five months, I was good to go. And then it happened again. So we started to reduce the medication and we got all the way down to five milligrams, which I was great on. And then eventually I was able to wean off. Wow. Now, I still carry with me five milligram XR. I have them in case like I have a stressful time that I have to really hone in on something. I'll take them, but I don't need them the way I used to need them. So I'm, I'm curious, kind of wondering about something just for really the, the, the listeners, because so I used to take the, the um, uh, short acting three times a day. Well, I was supposed to take it three times a day. Most days I would forget the second or third dose. So I finally switched to XR. But what what kind of <laughs> struck me when you're saying you carry around, you know, uh, yes. is, is that for a really, really long time, I have not taken a an afternoon booster. I occasionally do. I did for today's show. Um, <laughs> but, but what struck me was that like how often I carry around, you know, that a little extra medication. And mm -hmm. for months and months and months and months, I wouldn't use it. I just, right. it was for me, I have this totally irrational fear of somehow getting swept up away to some like island somewhere where I can't get my medication. And then I will not be able to, to like have the executive function that I need to plan enough to get off the island. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> because you know what? And I want everybody to know this who's listening. I'm not perfect at this. I am a human being. I have a neurodevelopmental disorder. I am in control for the most part of my executive function deficits. 
But are there times that I still procrastinate if I'm having a difficult? Of course, nobody's perfect at anything. But I will tell you, this is why I teach this because it's been a powerful vehicle for me. Yeah, yeah. And I do know that I've met, I have a lot of people that have had a lot of growth in my groups, people I work with privately. And I do know, it's funny, I'm a big Noah Levine fan. He's um, Dharma Punks. He started Dharma Punks out here in California. And he's a great loving kindness, compassion guy. And I went up to his place um, in Northern California. My boys live up there. And one of his um, teachers were t- were actually mentioned ADHD and how he's noticing that people with ADHD that are meditating, that are mindful, are getting better. They're mm-hmm. feeling better. The, the, the research that's being conducted on it now is, is showing it is it is an effective um, – it's effective for, for ADHD. Um, yes. you know, it's, it's, you know, and, and I, and I, I don't think that you're saying that, you know, start meditating and you can get off your medication. Oh, no, no. I'm not saying that because, and I tell people that first of all, when people come to me, I tell them, if you need meds, please, by all means, take the meds. Because I think Eric, you know, this, when somebody comes to therapy or coaching and they're on meds, they're able to take in those tools mm-hmm. and then they can start using those tools and so, no, I don't spout to anybody that you can get off your medication. It worked for me. So could it work for somebody mm-hmm. else? I mean, look at you. I know you're mindful and your afternoon dose, you're not taking all the time. So it's the same thing. It's that neuroplasticity, that mm-hmm. rewiring of the brain that enables us to be able to be in control of those deficits mm-hmm. versus they controlling us all the time. You know, sometimes I think when, when someone's been trying to learn about their ADHD and learn strategies, but they're not taking medication, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, I think sometimes it's like they get this really great toolbox, but it's locked right. and they don't have a key. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like yes. the, the box is right there. It's sitting there on your desk. Yep. But you have no access to anything that's inside of there, you know, and so that's, yes. that's, you know, I, and the other thing is, too, is like the more you work on this stuff, from, from my perspective, the more you work on this stuff and, you know, the, the more you understand about it, it's like you actually realize how, how much the medication, as much as it helps, how much more there is to yes. doing, like to managing life than just yes. medication. Yes. And, and what you do, um, you know, you're. When you, like Tom was telling me about the group he's involved in, Mm -hmm. you know, and just the accountability of like those kind of things are just so important. There's so many different ways for all of us Mm -hmm. to live this life as a gift, not as a death sentence. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I I was talking to Tom last night and um, (laughs) I, I told him. That I was a little concerned that I that I maybe killed Tom Nardone because he hadn't put a, a a podcast episode out in a while, oh, yeah. and and, uh, <laughs> and and he said to me he's because he's like the, his mindset about just stuff has has really shifted in in a lot of areas. Yes, and he said to me he's like I didn't want to say it, but I was kind of concerned about it too. <laughs> but he's like, don't worry, I'm getting back to my old ways, and no, but I mean, it's it's it was just really interesting because it's I mean, Tom and I have really become good friends, and it's it's He's uh, great, and He's and it's great. so funny because I just I don't know this when I first 
met Tom, I, I kind of thought he was like my guilty pleasure because it was like, yes. <laughs> as weird as that sounds, I don't, you know, it's just like, I think we, we come from very different backgrounds, but there's just, I mean, he's one of the most caring people. He really is. That it, it's like, if you take him at face value, it's like, you're going to think he's just like, what is, who is this guy? Like, he's kind of a jerk. It's like, he's totally not. He's like, oh my God. And you know, I have clients who listen to my podcast and you know, the shows that they comment on the most mm -hmm. are the ones I did with Tom. They think he's hysterical because you know, laughter and you and I laugh all the time. Mm -hmm. This is so important. I yes. tell parents all the time, can you laugh, please, about things <laughs> instead of making these poor children feel like they're horrible individuals? Mm -hmm. Let's start laughing about things, you know? Let's put the fun back in dysfunctional, you know? Yeah. I, I, was, I was telling you, I think, before we started recording about, um, <laughs> uh, the, you know, I sent out this email for for, the, for this webinar that I did uh, during the the week that this session that this is being recorded, and um, so the first the first email uh, the wrong link was for the to register for the webinar was it was a dead link, so I got to send out one of those you know the typical ADHD oops email <laughs> uh, correction uh, you know it's, it's like how many do we get of the of different organ ADHD organizations that are like the correction the oops the and I sometimes wonder I'm like is that strategic is that just a way to like like get like in front of people more often so then I, I was looking at because I've been adding videos because I don't like to write and I've recently kind of had this like aha of like you know I actually do really good just kind of impromptu video. So I've started adding, like just doing video email, um, which has been really helpful. But then I was looking at my video analytics to see how many people have watched and clicked and all that kind of stuff. Cause I want to know if, is the work that I'm doing, is it working or do I need it? You right. know, cause that's part of that executive function, you know, with what everything I'm doing. And I noticed, you know, there were a lot of people that opened the email, but the video was only watched three times. Said, so, hmm. <laughs> so I went and opened the email that I sent out, and it was linked to the wrong video. <laughs> so, and, I, and that was my what you're doing right now. That was my response. It was like face face to, to palm, and just like, oh my gosh. And I was totally laughing about it. And I so I I sent out another email, and the subject of the email was comedy of errors, and. Uh, and, I love it. You know, so it. It, was, it was like it's like whack a mole. It's like you, you fix one thing and you mess something yes. else. It's and it's you know what that is. I mean, it's I feel so fortunate, Justine, that the more kind of open and vulnerable I've been willing to be, yeah, I think the better my ADHD has gotten. That's because, right. Because it's it's I can I'm okay with screwing up and you know was I embarrassed about it? Yeah, I was embarrassed about it. <laughs> But it's also really funny because it's like, I don't look at that as like, I'm a bad person. Um, no. like, I can't believe I did that. Like, no one's going to like me. It's like, <laughs> what, what I found is that people like me more for doing like, yes, yes. Screwing up has been great for business. I don't, I don't know what other area of business you can actually say that screwing up is actually really good for business. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I get it because I know that people love when you admit that, you know, you, you are vulnerable, mm -hmm. that things do happen and they do. That's why I said I'm a human. So it doesn't mean that because I feel like I'm in control that every single day, absolutely nothing goes wrong. No, it does. And, and I think admitting it, being able to say, Hey, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm a human being. Mm -hmm. That's okay. And people in this population, they love to hear that. Uh -huh. It's yep. important. 
It really is. Yeah, that's um, that's why Brene Brown's work to me has been oh, so. I, love I mean, it. she's um, she turned something on in my brain that was like it was, it was there, but like she like she juiced it or something like yeah. It has given me such a a refocused kind of purpose to what I do. Not that I was not focused on what I do, but it gave right. me it it validated a lot of what I'm doing. Right. And th- this the whole this whole notion, and I, I don't know how familiar you are with her work. Yeah, um, I, I I am familiar with her work because she's pretty incredible with the vulnerability, mm. and that is something that recently I have really been working on is my own vulnerability being able to be that be a vulnerable person mm-hmm. you know because as i said before vulnerability is the opposite of shame and vulnerability is about you too you know you can't expect and this is something that byron katie says mm-hmm. you can't expect the other person to be vulnerable if you're vulnerable you just have to do it for you mm-hmm. it can't be about the other person it has to be about you and I, I, I love, I love her work. She yeah, does I mean, incredible work. So, um, I don't know if I was telling you this. So, I've been trying to get her on on this podcast, and and most oh. of my and most of my listeners know that I've been trying to get her on the podcast. I talk about it in my Facebook group. Um, and she had an event in Chicago. Um, and I was get. Uh, I saw that. I saw it that you went to it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's so funny because of like you think about like when something's really important to you, like it's like the ADHD stuff is like doesn't even impact your life. Right. So I mean, so for example, so I was getting ready to 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 interview someone. I think it was like two weeks ago, and I see this uh, quarter of my eye. My e- an email pops up on my phone, and I I just glance at the subject line and it was something basically about how um you know because i was on a list for to get notification of this event when when the tickets were available but i saw the subject line about something related to the there was an error in their system the event sold out so they created a new another date for it and so talk about attention shifting um prioritization and and sequencing Okay. So I said to, to, I don't even remember who I was about to interview. I said, I have to call you right back. <laughs> I, ju- I jumped on to the computer to, site to, to get the tickets for it. Then I go to my pocket to get my credit card. I don't have my credit card. I left my wallet at home. So I, I call my, so I'm like, I call my wife. She didn't answer. I called her again and again and again. She, she finally answered. I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm driving. She's like, can you please pull over? <laughs> I need, I need, I need to give me the credit card number. Um, it's, it's awesome. She didn't even ask me why. She was just like, okay, you know, it's. Like, <laughs> and so, so I got the tickets. Um, went back onto the, the interview, and then I emailed. I, I've already reached out to her because she has people. She has gatekeepers. Um, which yes, I'm, yes, which I'm totally. I, I would love a gatekeeper. Yeah. You know, know it's like. Too. It's, I think it's every ADHDer's dream to have a yes. gatekeeper. Um, yes. You know, someone once asked me if I won the lottery, what's the first thing that I would do? I, I'm hiring assistants. Like people just to manage all the stuff that I yes. want to manage. Yes. Like, yes. I'm still working my butt off because I love what I do, you know, but it's like, oh, so, all right. So, <laughs> so I got the tickets. I, I, um, I've already been, so then I sent another email to like her, her person saying, I'm going to be at this event. Like, would it be possible to get like a, tw- just a 20 minute kind of interview? And you know, I got another very nice rejection letter saying, you know, sorry, I, you know, she's just doesn't have the time to do it at this time, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm like, okay. So I went to the event. I, just got, I sat third row and I got to ask her 
It's wow. so, so the Q and A session, and I was so nervous, Justine. Like I, I and and I got teary eyed asking her about like I because I shared with her how like I, when I was listening to the power of vulnerability, right? And she has these ten guideposts that she originally talked about in, in the gifts of imperfection, and one of the guideposts, uh, guidepost number seven, was that cultivating. Um, cultivating wholeheartedness through letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. Yes. And even when I say it, it still gets to me. It's, yes. it's cause it's, you know, I was listening to it. And I, it tr- I stopped in my, I was w- out for a walk one afternoon. And it, it truly stopped like walking. Mm-hmm. I, it, yeah. it struck me so profoundly because I realized so much of my perfectionism mm-hmm. is I'm fighting for that self-worth. I'm fighting for the being good enough. And it's, yeah, it's it like hit the nail on the head in such a way that it went right to, it went right to the core of like my emotional being. Wow. And so, you know, now that I, I mean, I'm, I continue to do these productivity groups, but I, but what I've been finding and what I think is so important is emphasizing the fact that productivity with ADHD is so much more than just about productivity. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, it's about knowing that you are enough, you know? Yep. So, so it's like, yes, it's like knowing that you are enough without any, any contingency. It's not, you are enough when right? it's, you are enough now. Yes. And that's not in, 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 uh, in conflict with wanting to self-improve. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, I don't know. So anyways, I, um, I, I, you know, can I just say something? Please. I think that when you know that you're enough now, then your self-improvement really grows. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, one of the, there's a lot of mind, a lot of uh, paradoxes to it and with mindfulness too. It's like, yep. you know, a lot of people who experience a lot of anxiety, well, the, our natural tendency is to run away from it because it works in the moment. Yes. But it doesn't work if you are constantly experiencing anxiety. No. You know, it's I, I often use the analogy of the, the Chinese finger trap. You know, the more you pull away, the tighter that the grip gets on you. Of, <laughs> That's that exactly anxiety. right. And so I, I asked her to come on the show and I, and, I, and I did so in a very like, I was, I was really mindful of like, okay, I, I don't want to appear like I'm being a stalker. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> that, that was a story I was telling myself that like, oh my God, like, because I, I don't, I'm not a, someone that really is good at following up. It's something, it's, that's an area that I need to work on. I'm always working on. So I'm following up. I'm being persistent. I'm like, I'm showing up at her event. I'm like, you know, and I'm just like, who, who am I right now? It's like, this is, I don't, I don't even like going to the city. So I, I went, you know, cause it, I get overstimulated and it's just, Okay. Yeah. So I yeah. I went there. I sat third row. I got to to tell her how much she meant to me, and I asked her like, you know, come on the show, please. And she, I didn't really get an answer. I, I handed her a letter that I wrote that I don't know if she ever got because like her gatekeepers. But I'm still trying, and I I emailed her person again uh, just two days she'll ago. She'll come on. I believe she'll come on. I, I believe do. I believe she will too. I do. Um, it's in the universe. You yeah. put it out there. She's gonna come on. Tell you. And, it's gonna be so exciting, and you know all of her books too. It's like it's I'm using her philosophies to keep on asking. Yes, you know what I yes. mean. 
Yes. Because the whole idea of daring greatly and, and, you know, you're going to get knocked down. And and one of the things that she said too, during this, uh, this talk, this workshop, it was was actually, it was, it was cool. It was like an interview um, where she was, it was at this like entrepreneurial hub in Chicago um, where um, I forget this guy's name. Um, What a surprise, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who who created this? It's like this co-op. It's really neat. Is it at the, the merchandise mart in in Chicago? Oh, I used to be there all the time. (laughs) And, And really? Yeah, when I bought rugs, that's okay. where they had the okay. they had, yeah the shows. It was great. So she, so he was interviewing her, and you know she was talking about this whole idea with, with working with with top CEOs, and about about you know the CEOs were saying something like you know so if I'm understanding you're telling me that I I have to be willing to fail in order to be vulnerable and to to dare greatly, and she goes no, you have to know you're going to fail in order to to wow. and that that really struck me because it's not just about being willing because then in the back of your mind you're like okay it might happen you know it's like <laughs> you know but maybe it won't I, you know it's it's, it's, it's it's let's try to do some damage control here before it even we, we even try exactly right and so the idea of of re re under, like changing our understanding of failure uh, another thing she said that was profound is that failure is such an imprecise word because soon as soon as we learn from it, it ceases to be a failure. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. She, her work is, is incredible. I, I have to tell you, Michael Singer has another book. He's kind of my Benet Brown in so many ways because of how he changed my life. And it's called the surrender experiment. This is actually pretty funny. So my husband is my producer and I've asked him to reach out to people like Noah Levine and Michael Singer. And what I want to say to Michael Singer is, you know, in this new book I'm reading, your mind was telling you to say no, but you were saying yes to things that were coming up that you really didn't want to do. And it's an amazing story about his life and how it unfolds. So I know you really don't want to be on my podcast, but I really think you should do it because your mind's telling you no. Ooh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> you know, I think it comes comes down to two, you're, as we were talking earlier about, you know, we're thinking about how people are perceiving what we're saying. And it's like when you write a letter like that, you know, yes. it's like you're you're trying to to use that kind of theory of mind, that perspective taking. It's like what's going to what's going to resonate with the person that you're asking Exactly. Um, and I just figure like, what's the worst that happens? They say no and right. you're no worse off than you were in the beginning. Um, right, but if you don't ask, you get nothing. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Isn't life just this amazing journey of just like what are we gonna learn next? Yeah, it's true. And and it's a we're a constant work in progress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And the interesting thing is I remember in graduate school taking this developmental class. And my professor, I adored him. And he was talking about, you know, we grow if we want to developmentally to the day we die. And that's the way I look at the rest of my life mm-hmm. is I am just going to continue to work on this growth that I want in my life. Have you ever read the book uh, uh, Mindset? No, no I'm going to write it down. Um, and it's, it's it's a really good book and it really explores just the, the differences between individuals who have a growth mindset and a, a fixed mindset. Oh, I like that. Um, and it was interesting because they were also showing that the, the uh, different uh, like brainwave states 
between people who have a growth and fixed mindset, you know, and they're looking at, they did these studies with kids that were uh, looking at um, kids who had a growth mindset, had certain brain waves that would light up when they were presented a challenge that was like, they were being rewarded by wow. their, their, like their brain, like enjoyed the challenge. Um, wow. The kids who had a fixed mindset would kind of shut down and disengage when it was a yeah. challenge and they would be, re their brain would reward them for doing the thing that was like they, that they already knew that they could do. Wow. It was, so it was See, really the whole idea of experiencing life in a different way, um, you know, for people who have that fixed mindset, if they could start to experience life in a different way, then maybe the brain waves would change as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, just, I know it sounds like hokey, you know, some people think it sounds hokey, but just the idea, like, if you believe you can, you're right. If you believe you can, so you're right. If you believe you can or can't, you're right. It's like, I mean, it's, it's hokey, but it's true. No, it's true. It's and true. you know, positive self-talk for everybody who's listening, it works. Mantras work. Yes. And, and here's the thing. So, so often we, uh, we, our brain has this internal radio and it's always on. And it's usually on the station that we don't want it to be on. And okay. we don't ever think, why don't we just change the station? Exactly. You know, the, the station that is often playing is, you can't do that. Oh, you're going to screw up, screw that up. Oh, what am I forgetting now? It's like, change the station. Exactly. Instead of listening, become the broadcaster. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's right. And that's what mindfulness does. It enables you to do that. It also enables you to not engage. You have a choice because... You know, the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions are the objects. We are the subject mm -hmm. that sit back and we notice them. We have a choice. We can engage in this or we don't have to. It can be that difference between that downward, daily spiral mm -hmm. or living life in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Justine, we just hit the hour mark. Okay. okay. This is great. Went by so, so fast. So here's what we're going to do now. I have, I, I typically do um, the, the random question around. Are, are you familiar with the random question around? Have you made it to the end? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so here, here's what it, to, here's how I typically set it up. It's time for the random question around. It's the part of the show that has nothing to do with ADHD, which then paradoxically has everything to do with ADHD. But here's the thing, because I have ADHD, I'm getting bored of this part of the show. So, <laughs> so I want to change it. Okay. And so I, I'm not going to do the random question around today. Okay. But, okay. I'm gonna, but I am going to ask you um, to do something. If, if you could, and if you can't, then we'll, I don't know, we'll figure it out at, at that point. Um, can you take us out with a little bit of a guided meditation? Oh, absolutely. Yes, okay. I would love to do that. Okay, mm -hmm. so so uh, do you want to give your kind of contact info first or after? Um, why don't I give it first? Okay. And then we can just kind of lull out. Okay. A couple of minutes of guided meditation. Okay, that, that's great. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm like, I really okay. need this right now. Uh, okay. <laughs> and again, on all the links to that, that Justine's about to share with us will be in the show notes as always. Okay, so I can be reached on Facebook at Miss ADD Group, Miss ADD. There's two different pages. Um, also, my website, which is missadd.com. Um, I can also be reached at Justine at Miss ADD. And um, in addition to that, I have podcasts that are out there and you can listen to all of them on iTunes. They're free. It's Miss ADD slash Justine Rutolo or on blogtalkradio.com slash Miss ADD. 
Great. And, and I want to thank you for being on, Jesse. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. This was really fun. And I'm looking forward to you coming back on. We're going to call you with a date because I want to spend a whole hour and a half with you on vulnerability. I'm let's, looking forward let's to do it. it. Let's do it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to show up in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I promise, but you can. <laughs> well, it's, it's not video though on your show, so it's. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you can be in your underwear. That's right. Yeah. I, I told you when we started, I'm going to be just as surprised at the things that come out of my mouth as you might be. So. Uh, I love it. Are you kidding? I love this. All right, let's, let's, let's do. Let's let's end with some mindfulness. Okay, so I'm going to take ask everybody to take some long three long deep breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth. And what I want you to notice while you're taking these breaths is how all the stress from wherever time zone you're in is just being released through these deep breaths. So now that we're feeling less stressed, just want everybody to Get accustomed to their body. If you're sitting, just feel yourself sitting in the chair. Feel your feet planted on the ground. If you're laying down, feel your body on the mattress or your head on the pillow. And as we're doing this med meditation, I just want you to all scan your body for stress. Start at the top of your head. Work down to your neck area. That's a big place where stress gets held. Release that stress in your neck and in your shoulders. Take the scan now down through your arms. Your right arm first down to your hand. Release the stress. The left arm down through your hand. Release the stress. Come to your middle section. Feel any stress or tension that's sitting there. And just being able to identify this, you're able to release it. Go down to your legs, your right thigh, your right calf, your right foot. Your left thigh, your left calf, your left foot. Release all the stress. Continue to breathe. And what's going to start to happen is thoughts are going to start to come up. And when those thoughts come up, don't resist those thoughts. Allow them to come up and just say, let it be. They will go away. They will come back. This is just a function of life. Don't engage in those thoughts. Don't judge those thoughts. Just notice them. If there's any outside noises, just embrace those outside noises. Don't resist them. Allow them into your meditation. Just continue to breathe. As the thoughts come up, let it be and go focus back onto your breath. Focusing on your breath is very important. It helps to keep the thoughts from engaging. No judgments. So to do a little bit of meta-meditation, Right now, that's loving-kindness meditation. And I want you to repeat this inwardly to yourself. May you be filled with loving-kindness. 
may you be free from pain and sorrow. May you be at peace. And then to give that loving kindness to yourself, it's the same words, changing the you with an I. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be free from pain and sorrow. May I be at peace. So now that you're all feeling all relaxed, just take a few more breaths and slowly open your eyes and come back. Feels good. <laughs> Great way to get centered. Can I, I want to reflect. I noticed, first thing I noticed was how much tension I was holding in my neck. Ah, it's amazing. And anytime I do a, a meditation practice like this, I'm always like, wow, I really, like, I, my shoulders stay up a lot. And I don't even realize it. Yeah, no, you don't. And I also yeah. noticed I was, I, that I often clenching my jaw and I don't, I don't notice it. Yeah. Then as I felt my body relax, I was noticing the thoughts that I was noticing was, okay, should I put this part after my outro? Then should I, <laughs> then, then should, then should I, should I record it an, an intro, letting people know to, to listen to the very end because of this. And then I noticed a thought and brought my attention back to my breathing. Great. That is so great. And that happened more than once. <laughs> that's so great. I'm so excited. And that's what it is though. And it's, yes. it's, yes. You know, the interesting thing is real quick. When I went up to San Francisco, I did a half an hour sit with my boys and I had a very stressful day. We're working on something, all of us together, which I will talk to you privately about because I would like to you be a part of my focus group when this comes about. So I'm kind of all stressed and feeling, and this is a half an hour sit. We have to sit for a half an hour. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to let the day go. I'm going to get very deep. And the next thing I knew, the half an hour was up. And for some people, they go, wait a minute, half an hour? It goes by so quickly. It's, and when I, and then when he said, you know, when you're kind of bringing our attention back to, to yes. back being present, I, my first thought was like, I don't want it to end. <laughs> Well, thank you, because you know what? I have a lot of people who say, is this over yet? <laughs> uh, can I tell you how helpful that was? It's oh, really so genuinely, glad. and I don't even know how long that, may, maybe five minutes, yeah. maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe three. Yeah, I kept it shot. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for having me on. This was so much fun. And we're going to see Eric soon on my podcast, because we're going to have a lot of fun. Underwear on and all. <laughs> Some of the things I say. It's... <laughs> I love it. You're the best. Justine, thank you so much. Thank you. You have a great day. Thanks. You too.
All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of ADHD Rewired. And if you're new to the show, welcome to ADHD Rewired. We are more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. You can see a full outline of this and all other episodes with all the links and other resources mentioned during this interview at ADHDrewired.com. Help support this podcast by checking out my sponsors. I use Zoom video conferencing nearly every day, and so can you. Go free or go pro. But please, go to erictibbers.com slash Zoom so they know that I sent you. And you can get a free audiobook from Audible at erictibbers.com slash Audible. And next time you shop Amazon, use the Amazon search portal at ADHDrewired.com. A small percentage of your purchase will go to support this show. And it doesn't cost you anything extra. You can also support this podcast by leaving an honest rating and review in iTunes or Stitcher. This really helps other people find this show. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Don't just be a passive listener, be an active member of the ADHD Rewired community. We are on Facebook. You can like our page, but please submit your request to join our free and growing community. And don't forget to check your other inbox because I screen everybody before they come into our community. Looking for a coach? If you're still listening at this point and you answered yes, come to my website at ADHDrewired.com and schedule your free 20-minute consultation or call me at 224-993-9450. Is your school, business, or organization hiring speakers? I provide fun and engaging presentations full of practical solutions that both educate and entertain. Hire me for your next professional development day or corporate training event. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash talks. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.